The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Killed in the head and a goal! Sadio Mane! Always give it away. Pauly, chance here. Jota, surely. Tuna. Oh, Jota, what a header that is. Sadio Mane, heavy touch. Ramsdale stays at home. The cross for Salah. It's Salah. Under Arnold, back post, 4-0, Minamino. Right, well, it felt like a huge game for Liverpool and they certainly delivered, didn't they? Back on track, superb fashion against uh, Arsenal. And, of course, the masterstroke was delivered by Mikel Arteta. Uh, it got them going. The Gunners were then taken apart. I'm Steve Hothersall. This is The Red Agenda. And with me today, James Pearce and football writer uh, Stephen Beacom. Um James, to put this one in, into context, there was the defeat to West Ham and then there was Chelsea winning earlier in the day. There was a certain amount of pressure on Liverpool. They simply had to win this. They did, yeah. It felt like a really big night in the context of the season because I think, you know, as you, as you said, with, with Chelsea winning earlier on the day, you thought you know, seven points is a significant gap. They had to instantly reply and cut that back if they were serious about catching Tuchel's team. And I think... I think also when you looked at over your shoulder and realised that Arsenal on the back of that 10-game unbeaten run, you know, if, if they'd won at Anfield, they would have leapfrogged Liverpool and Liverpool would have been outside the top four. And I think the alarm bells really would have been ringing on the back of what happened at West Ham and obviously Brighton before that. And you're never quite sure, are you? I think although you always back clock to get a reaction after a setback, it wasn't ideal, the fact that then players jetted off all around the world. You know, the, the squad only got back together on really the Wednesday... Uh, or the Thursday for the Brazilians, really, before the game. So it's not like he'd had a ma- massive amount of time on the training pitch, but um, he managed to trigger the right response with a little bit of help from his opposite number, Mikel Arteta. And, um, yeah, I thought the second half, that 45 minutes, was was Liverpool's best 45 minutes of the season. I thought they were everything you've come to expect from a Jurgen Klopp team. You know, that mix of quality and pace and incision and creativity mixed with an unbelievable work rate. Stephen, it was the best that we've seen, wasn't it, for a while? It was just, I mean, James summed it up there, so many elements, so many sort of clop bits that pieced together at the highest level in that second half. It was exhilarating. It really was a joy to watch, boys. It took me back, actually, to the 1987-88 season, you know, and I was thinking to myself as I was watching Liverpool destroy Arsenal, we are just in the presence of greatness here. This is the most entertaining, dynamic side Liverpool have ever put out since 1987-88. And you could almost say that it's better than that 87-88 team. And what they achieved on Saturday was remind us what Liverpool Football Club's all about under Jurgen Klopp. I loved the fact that Klopp and Arteta went toe-to-toe on the touchline. And it was as if Arteta poked the bear because Klopp got up, he was backing his team to the hilt, he was backing Sadio Mane. All of a sudden you could sense a change in the crowd and the atmosphere. The cop was going at it and the players responded. The first goal was vital before half time and as James pointed out, that second half, it was incredible. It was like the Arsenal players, they they were surrounded by a swarm of bees. And they just couldn't get away. And then Liverpool stung them. 
And Jota's second goal was pure class. The composure he, he showed for that was magnificent. And then it was a question of how many. And I must say the third goal scored by Salah was one of the, the best team goals I've seen in a long, long time. How often is it that you see two headers in a build-up to a team goal? And that's what we got for Salah's brilliant finish. I thought it was wonderful to watch and almost a template of how Liverpool go about the rest of the season. You mentioned the fireworks on the touchline. For anyone who was there, maybe watching on the telly, I don't know, but inside the stadium, it was brilliant. My sources tell me that Klopp's reaction to Arteta was was effectively a little bit of a, a build-up to the fact that Arteta had just appealed for everything in the game because I was a bit surprised, James, I don't know about you, with the, with the way that Klopp got riled. Yeah, I think but it was interesting listening to Klopp afterwards. I think he almost sensed there's a bit of a pattern there with teams and managers almost trying to get about Sadio Mane and thinking that you can upset him, you can ruffle his feathers and and, and try and get him into hot water with, with officials. We've seen it a number of times already this season, you know, Atletico Madrid being the most obvious example. And I, I don't know what Mikel Arteta was doing, to be honest, because... I think I can only think he thought that Mane, as he went up for that aerial challenge, had, had caught the defender with an elbow, which clearly he hadn't. I don't, you know, I don't think it was even really a, a foul. And it wasn't. So to react in the to react in the way he did was absolutely ludicrous. And clearly, you know, when when another manager reacts like that, he, he was in, you know very confrontational. The way he went towards Klopp, and obviously the the fourth official has to step in between them. You know, Klopp obviously was just fighting his corner and making sure that. You know, he didn't want the referee to be influenced by Arteta's antics. But in the big picture of the game, it was crazy from Arteta. Because I actually thought, you know, I, I was the people I was sat with in the press box, we were saying after 25 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, this is as well as Arsenal have played at Anfield in years. They look they look well drilled. You know, that the crowd had gone quiet. You know, Liverpool weren't really creating much. You thought, this, this is going to be a tough game. They're going to take some breaking down here. If you're Arsenal, you know full well a big part of that game plan surely was starting well, being solid and quieting the fans down. And they tick those boxes, yet Arteta doing that just suddenly, you know, it was like lighting the fuse paper, wasn't it? The, the whole place came alive. Anfield became a bear pit where before it had been quiet. And you could you could sense, you know, I think Oxlade Chamberlain even talked about it after the game when he spoke to the, the TV. He said that, you know, the players fed off that energy from the stands and suddenly Liverpool were a different team after that. You know, I think I think there was that Fabino sliding challenge, I think on Aubameyang not long after as well, that, that also, you know, cranked up the decibel levels a few notches further. And um, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be absolutely fuming with Arteta for that because he did rile Liverpool into life. And then, you know, once that had happened, it was an incredibly one-sided contest. I mean, I know, you know, Arsenal have had some real chasing defeats at Anfield in recent years, and that was another one for the collection. But when you put it in the context that they were 10 games unbeaten and everyone was talking about the praise being showered on Arteta for turning things around, but for Ramsdale, that would have been 7 or 8 nil. Like The, the amount of clear-cut chances Liverpool had. And it all stemmed from that from that flashpoint on the touchline because usually you're looking for a bit of inspiration from Salah Romani to get you going. But uh, yeah, not very often it's the, it's the opposition manager who does it for you. He's got no excuse really, Stephen. He should know better. He's obviously played on Merseyside for a long time. He's more than aware of how Anfield can actually affect things. We've heard the greatest managers in the world like Sir Alex and Pep Guardiola 
talk about the, the difference Anfield can make. It seems like a bit of madness from Arteta what he did. I would go as far to say, boys, that um, uh, Arteta got his biggest managerial lesson in his career to date at, at Anfield on Saturday night. Because he will know never ever to do that again at Anfield or any away ground for that matter. Because as soon as he did that, his team were basically defeated. It wasn't long after that that Mane scored the opening goal from another wonderful delivery from Trent Alexander-Arnold. And from there, Liverpool just took control. The second half, Arsenal, yeah, they didn't help themselves by constantly giving the ball away. But that was all to do with Liverpool's high press. And Liverpool just destroyed that that team, who were on a really good run. So a real confidence blow to Arsenal. But frankly, who cares? This was all about Mm. Liverpool Football Club getting back into the groove again. Because that West Ham defeat, for me, it was a tough one to take. And I'm certain for the players and Jurgen Klopp, it was a tough one to take. But they got back on the horse and now they can ride on it and um, hopefully go on a, a very, very long unbeaten run and a winning run from here until Christmas, certainly in the league anyway, because Manchester City and Chelsea show no signs of slipping up at this moment in time. Yeah, so vital. Let, let's have a look at those goals then. The first one, I mean, a couple of great elements. Trent, another assist. I mean, the, the lad at the age he's at, James... It's ridiculous, the stats in terms of assists that he's that he's clocking up so early on in his career. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes you can almost take it for granted, can't you? But then, you know, when you take a step back and you look at those numbers, for someone so young to have already now gone past, what is it, a half century of assists for Liverpool, when you think we're talking about a right-back as well, for me it makes redundant this debate that seems to come up quite regularly about whether he is somehow wasted at right back and whether he should be playing centre midfield and because I just think you want him in those wide areas to to deliver those balls in and I think he's been in fantastic form all this season I think by his own admission you know last season wasn't great in patches I think um, you know clearly he suffered where you know he had Covid he had injury problems it was very stop start you know there was all the noise around him in terms of um, his England place you know but you know from the heartache of picking up that thigh injury, which meant he missed the Euros, I think in terms of the long term, looking ahead towards this season, it actually did him a real favour, having that proper break and then having a proper full pre-season. And now now we're seeing Trent Alexander-Arnold back to his absolute brilliant best. And, you know, there is no better right back in world football for me. He's such a, he's such a complete footballer. And I don't... Sometimes, especially, you know, after something like at West Ham, people focus on, you know, is his defensive side of those game good enough? And it's like, well, you've got to bear in mind the job that Klopp gives him to do. Klopp, he is given that licence to attack. He's told to leave that space in behind at times. It's a high-risk, high-reward strategy that he is absolutely perfect for. And, um, yeah, the quality of the ball in. I mean, um, you know, obviously for the first goal, people will question the marking, which wasn't great. You know, Sadio Mane is not exactly the biggest fella um, to have a free header like that. But yeah, the, the delivery was absolutely pinpoint. And the same with the, the way in which Trent put the fourth on an absolute plate for, for Minamino, who um, you know he's waited a long time, Minamino, for that first goal actually at Anfield with his previous goals coming on the road. You know, he couldn't have wished for a better first touch. Mane's actually got a pretty good history of heading goals, hasn't he? Not the, not the biggest fella, but actually give him something. And he generally scores w- with his head. Um, two assists. I, I think there's too much Stephen made of this idea that Trent's not a great defender. I don't think he's necessarily that bad a defender. I, th- I think, like James says, 
his job is something else. I actually think Trent's a better defender than people give him credit for. I think they're just using for uh, looking for a stick to beat him in many respects. But whenever I think of Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think of the the great players who have performed in that area of the pitch and delivered time after time. You're looking at Steven Gerrard from the right-hand side was just wonderful. David Beckham was brilliant at it as well. Kevin De Bruyne in today's game, sensational at it. But Trent Alexander-Arnold is up there with them, in my opinion. And the thing that I love about Alexander-Arnold is he can cross so many different ways. He can curl the ball in from deeper when he's on the byline he can whip it across so someone's coming in the back post this isn't a guy who just delivers fantastic crosses this is a player who makes right decisions time after time after time he is a brilliantly creative mind of a footballer as well as just um, a, a wonderful athlete and i'm not sure he actually gets the credit sometimes he deserves outside of liverpool football club because what this guy is doing is rewriting how a right-back should play football. That is how good he is. He's transforming that position. And we're lucky at this moment in time, not just to have Alexander-Arnold, but also Andy Robertson on the other side. For me, there's not a better pair of, lap, of, of full-backs in world football. They almost drive each other on. Robertson's a different type. You know, you, you watch him and he's driving forward and he's 30, 40, 50 yard runs. Alexander Arnold gets the ball and his first thought is, right, I'm going to whip this in the box for um, one of the strikers coming in. And what a tool it is for Klopp to have both those players in his squad at the same time. It's just incredible. And whenever they are at the top of their game, that's when Liverpool are at the top of their game. So um, yeah. uh, long live Alexander Arnold, in my opinion. And um, I don't know if he listens to podcasts, but you see whenever people go on, Trent, about your defensive capabilities, you're a far better defender than what people give you credit for. And right now, you are the best and most consistent assist king in world football. Let's go to the Jota goal. Um, awful moment for Tavares, the rookie Arsenal player, but Jota then seemed to walk the ball across the penalty area, James. Put White on the floor. Um, Ramsdale, we've mentioned, he was great in the game, but, you know, he was sent the wrong way. Lovely goal. and just demonstrates the value of, again, of Diogo Jota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I, I thought he's been underwhelming at times in the first few months of this season. I think he, he set such incredible standards when he first joined the club last season. And his form has been a bit patchy, but that, I thought... I thought Saturday was a an important step forward for him. You're right, he took that goal brilliantly. I mean, it was how ice cool and composed he was because you know he wouldn't have expected to have suddenly receive the ball in that area. I mean, it was a inexplicable defensive mistake. He seems to score goals at important moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think when you look at his goals for Liverpool, they you know very few of them have been kind of the the third or the fourth or the fifth in kind of routes. It's they they have been at important times and th- and that was a big time because um you know clearly only one nil Arteta would have been they would have obviously done a lot of talking at half time about how they could get back in the game and that 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 really killed it and um yeah I think everyone loved the way that um, that he just skipped around a couple and um and slotted it in in that manner and of course he was heavily involved in the the third goal as well with that header that that was absolutely perfect into the path of, of Sadio Mane who, 
who teed up Mo Salah. So, um, yeah, re- really timely, I thought, that from Jota, especially with... Um, you know, with with Firmino still being out for a, for a period of time, of course it, you know, places more responsibility on his shoulders. And then even you know, looking further ahead to to January when you know there's going to be no no Salah and no Mane. You know, Liverpool desperately need Diogo Jota, absolutely operating at the the peak of his powers. So um, yeah, let's let's hope that the weekend is the the start of a real purple patch for him. Lots of good displays. Uh, we'll get to the Ox in a moment because you've written about him. If people want to have a look at that on The Athletic, it's there now. Uh, I want to start with Thiago. I, I, you know, we've seen bits of brilliance from him. We're waiting for some consistent displays. I, I just thought he was excellent, Stephen, at the weekend. His passing, his ability to spot the the right pass to get Liverpool going forward at the at the right times. And I think, like most Liverpool fans, I just want to see him do this consistently. He's a class act, Steve. Um, in modern day parlance, he's what they call a baller because um, uh, he controls a football. He could control a, a football coming out from the moon and um, he could still find the right pass. There's no question about that. I'm a bit like you, though. Um, I think he's been inconsistent at times and I would love to see him step up. It's been really interesting since Xavi became Barcelona manager that there's been links now to him moving to Barcelona. So it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. I do think Thiago is a much better player for Liverpool when Fabinho's beside him. I love Fabinho. I just think he's a comfort blanket for the team. You can just wrap yourself around him and know that everything's going to be nice and warm and okay. Life's going to be grand. And I thought his performance against Arsenal was probably the pick of the bunch, actually. Um, uh, it was between him and Salah and Trent, for me, who was the most influential player on the pitch. But um, I'd love to see Thiago giving a run with Fabinho. And I know you said we'll talk about the Ox. I got texts from friends before the match saying they were worried about this midfield, but with nothing to worry about at all because um, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain was excellent on the night. And it's going to be um, a compelling watch to see how Jurgen deals with the midfield because he still has Jordan Henderson to come back in as well. But it would be hard to leave out any of the three midfielders who played so well against Arsenal on Saturday night. I think you said, James, a couple of weeks ago, it would take the Ox a few games to get back into the pattern and into the run because we were talking about his game time. And it almost feels like we're getting to this point now where... He knows his value. He know he knows his quality and how good he is. And that performance there, yeah, I know he got taken off, but actually, I think he'd have had a big smile on his face. Yeah, I, it was a very different type of substitution, wasn't it, to to maybe some of the ones that the Oxlade had experienced previously, because it wasn't a case of him not doing the job that that Klopp has asked for and and fading and and, and Klopp needing to try something new. It was, I think, it was very much you know. You've absolutely ran yourself into the ground here. You've done your job. The game is long since won. You put your feet up and, and have a breather. Yeah, I thought I thought that was as well as Oxley Chamberlain's played for Liverpool for for a long, long time. And um, I do feel for him a bit because I think he has been in that vicious circle where I think when he has played, certainly in kind of the last twelve months, that you know he's looked rusty. He's looked like someone who's trying too hard to impress. He's, he's looked like someone that needs to be playing more regularly to get up to speed. Yet he hasn't contributed enough to warrant that run in the team. You go right back to that horrific knee injury he suffered against Roma in, what was it, early early May 2018. And 
I would say he's never quite got back to those heights. I think there were little moments in probably 1920 in the Premier League and the Champions League when he, he reminded everyone of the abundance of quality he's got. But then, you know, the knee injury wrecked the foot, you know, another knee injury wrecked the first half of last season. And then, you know, I think he only played from like 240 minutes of Premier League football last season. You know, for someone of his calibre, and, you know, he's obviously a, a significant wage earner as well. You know, you, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, you know, Liverpool should be getting more from you. And, um, you know, I'm sure he would be the first to admit that he expected more from himself. So um, fate has kind of handed him, it's actually done him a little favour maybe in recent weeks with the injury situation, meaning he has had more chances. Um, I thought he did well against Atletico Madrid at home. You know, wasn't great. I didn't think against Brighton. Same away at West Ham. So you're thinking, you know, as, as Stephen said, you know, I, I was speaking to people before the game on Saturday, and that's you know, everyone was talking about the midfield and saying, oh, you know, no Henderson. You know, I do worry about Oxlade, and 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 I thought he delivered the the perfect response to that. And now he has to build on it. You know, the consistency is the big thing for Oxlade Chamberlain now. You know, can he keep doing it? Can he prove that he deserves to be an integral part of that midfield? Because, you know, at the moment, Klopp is almost down to the bare bones in that department. But the situation will change in the next few weeks. You know, you've got Cater coming back, Milner coming back, Curtis Jones as well. So obviously Henderson came off the bench on the weekend. So, um it's a pivotal period in Oxley Chamberlain's career. You know, he's down to the last 18 months of his deal. You know, at the age of 28, we should be talking about him as a player who's reaching his absolute peak. Yet, I think the next six months is massive for him in terms of proving that, that he deserves to be at Liverpool you know, for, for a number of years to come and, and, and try and earn himself a new deal. He's got a chance to, to redefine the opinion of, of fans and his involvement as well, hasn't he? Obviously, that you looked at Liverpool's bench and you're thinking to yourself, there clearly is quite a few players missing at the moment, Stephen. There's a few youngsters on the bench, which is great. And obviously, Tyler Morton came on. Massive moment for him, really, making his, his Premier League bow. But you do think it is a side that, you know, Jürgen's still got those in injury issues to, to deal with. Yeah, and that's what made the result against Arsenal and, and the performance even more impressive. Because the squad did look a little light. There's no um, question about that. What I would say is, though, that what a moment for Tyler Morton. Whenever you were teenagers, and I'm, I'm the same, we dreamt about playing for Liverpool Football Club. Coming on at a packed Anfield, the roar of the crowd, and you're 4-0 up. Does it really get any better than that for that kid? He's going to remember that. His family are going to remember that for the rest of time. And I hope that it inspires him to go on and make many more appearances for the, the football club. Obviously, he's played in the League Cup, but to come on in the Premier League against a, an iconic football club like Arsenal, just hear that reception that he received from the fans on Saturday night. Um, uh, it was his dreams coming true and then some. You know, um, so it was a lovely moment. I love to see young players coming through. I hope one day to see Conor Bradley from Northern Ireland play in the Premier League, I've no doubt he has the talent, the application and the attitude to do that down the line. But yes, um, the squad, once Liverpool gets some injuries, and we have some certainly in midfield at this moment in time, when you look at the bench, you think, right, who can come on there and change the game? When I was growing up, I used to love flash players. The older I get, the more I enjoy watching reliable players and durable <laughs> players. And I think I, I, that's a case in my life as well. I love reliability now as much as I love entertainment sometimes. 
James Milner, he gives you reliability. You ask him to do a job anywhere, he's going to do that. So it's fantastic that James is saying he's coming back very soon. And I hope that Oxlade Chamberlain in time can give us that. He's been incredibly unlucky with injuries. But I do believe whenever Oxlade Chamberlain gets 10, 15 games behind him in succession, he's a different animal. He's a completely different animal. And I genuinely thought on Saturday night, this was a player putting his hand up and saying, Jürgen, I'm your man. And now he has to stick to those types of performance levels. And I hope he gets another shot at Porto in midweek because um, uh, he's already delivered big style on European nights at Anfield previously. And it would be fantastic for his confidence to see him score again. He's a brilliant guy, Oxford Chamberlain, from everyone that I've heard in terms of what he's like in the dressing room, what he's like with the fans. And he's the type of person that you want to succeed at Liverpool. He's obviously won trophies and medals in the last few years, but I'm certain that he'll want to become a, a focal point of the team going forward. He certainly has the ability. All he needs now is the chance. Yeah, I, I spent some time with him a couple of weeks ago and he's very much determined and, and focused on on Liverpool. And I don't think that the idea of moving away is is even in his head. He still believes he's still got some, some big years ahead of him. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn. So it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Let's look at the wider picture of the, of the league. We've got to mention Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, James. And I, I thought it was an interesting tweet from Sai, who will be back on the pod uh, in the next couple of pods, uh, who tweeted yesterday, assuming United won't win the league this season, it'll be nine years since their last. Makes me think of Liverpool between 1990 and 1999. But then it took Liverpool 21 years to deliver what everyone wanted. Really hard to reclaim what once seemed so easy. Manchester United, I know we've all you know done the ollies at the wheel thing for quite a while now. Obviously, they've made the change, but there's still no sort of definitive path they're going down. No, that, that's the thing. I think it's a mess, isn't it? I think when you look at it from the outside in terms of the lack of, I think, footballing nous in the hierarchy in terms of, you know, right from the from the top down, whether their fans even have faith in the people making these decisions to, to get it right in terms of the next manager and... Certainly, you know, I don't think any Liverpool fan was complaining that Solskjaer was allowed to stay in the job so long. But I think from the outside, it was just crystal clear, wasn't it? They were bumbling along and they were going to occasionally have decent results, as we've seen, because you look at the quality in that squad. You know, anyone could manage that squad at times and, and get wins because of the individual quality. But when you look at the inability to even do the basics right, 
defensively. We you know what an absolute shambles they were at Old Trafford when when Liverpool absolutely destroyed them and you know just how one-sided the Manchester derby was and you know, I couldn't believe that Solskjaer survived the Liverpool game I couldn't you know, but when he survived the, the the Manchester derby as well you think well he's almost bulletproof but you know obviously that heavy defeat to Watford finished him off yeah you know Simon's right you know you can take success for granted and then you know and even you know you, a couple of years and you think well it's only a couple of years and then five turns into ten and ten turns into fifteen and you know, it's because the other thing with United, it's not it's not through a lack of resources, is it? It's not like a it's not a you know a Hicks and Gillette situation where there's a lack of investment in the squad. You know, they spent an absolute fortune in the summer, you know, with you know, the money that they've the outlay to bring in Ronaldo and when you take into account his wages, you know, Varane, Sancho, you know, Van der Beek who, you know, hardly played from when he came in the year before. So there's been so much money thrown at it. Yet, you know, they've looked an absolute million miles away, haven't they? I think Solskjaer, on a human level, you had to feel some degree of sympathy for him, you know, watching that goodbye chat, which I thought was a, a little bit weird. I thought, you know, there was some strange old comments in there about, you know, how they're ready to kick on and the foundations are in place. And you're like, I'm just not quite sure how you can possibly claim that after the run of results that United have had. But yeah, they are a long way short at the moment. Yeah, I don't think anyone of a Liverpool persuasion will be feeling much sympathy. Uh, but, you know, Liverpool were there once themselves, weren't they? And I think, if anything, it makes you appreciate what Liverpool have got. It makes you appreciate the structure, the stability, you know, the you know from the ownership to the sporting director, to the manager, to the coaches, to, you know, the attitude of the players in the dressing room as well. You know, the way in which I think Liverpool players do take responsibility. There's, you know, when things aren't great, there isn't, you know, finger pointing and all the rest of it. There's no cliques and little breakaway groups. It um, yeah, it certainly makes you appreciate what you've got when uh, one of your biggest rivals is in a mess like that. Yeah, I was just going to get to that point, Stephen. It it does make you think it took Liverpool a long time to get back to a situation where they understood what path they needed to follow. It really is um, horrific to think back to the nineties. Liverpool started the nineties as champions and ended it watching Manchester United win the treble and we were all at sea. James is right. I don't think Liverpool fans will have any sympathy for Manchester United right now because there was none coming the other way, I can assure you of that, back then. But when Liverpool appointed Jurgen Klopp, that was the textbook way to do this in terms of changing a manager. They identified that Brenton Rodgers wasn't the man to take the club forward and they were very quick in their dealing with him. And then they brought in Jurgen Klopp. And look at the success that has brought. Compare that to the ham-fisted and shambolic way that the Manchester United board are dealing with this situation. I am right in saying this, aren't I? That um, in their statement yesterday, Manchester United said that they would appoint Michael Carrick as a, effectively a caretaker manager. Then they were going to get an, an interim manager. And then they were going to get in their actual manager at the end of the season in the summer now this is Manchester United no matter what we think of them as Liverpool fans even like the most Mickey Mouse football club you could think of wouldn't go round the houses like that you know Manchester United are a sporting institution around the world they should be looked up to in in the way they deal with things like this and um, everyone's saying now this is completely and utterly shambolic and they're right 
And where Manchester United go from here, we shall see. It wouldn't surprise me if Brenton Rodgers becomes the manager. It wouldn't surprise me if Pochettino becomes the manager. It would be interesting to see how the Liverpool fans would react to Brenton becoming the boss. Knowing him as I do, he would relish that opportunity. And um, perhaps they're waiting until the summer before they can get him. We shall find out in the coming months. But um, that would certainly be interesting, wouldn't it, boys, if Brenton Rodgers became Manchester United manager having been the boss at Anfield for some time. Wait and see what happens. Let's just finish the pod on a um, piece you've written, James. Uh, brilliant, because obviously, you know, we, we've gone back 20, 20 years there. And actually, 20 years ago was the Liverpool treble. And you've uh, you've done a piece with perhaps an unsung hero of those years, which is Stefan Honcho. And if you talk of formidable centre-half partnerships in the Premier League, well, Honcho and Hoopier has to be amongst them, top two, has to be, doesn't it? Oh, 100%, yeah. Especially when you you think back to, you know, obviously, I think Hippier came in first, didn't he? I think the month before in, uh, what was it, 99? And, you know, he was, what was he, two and a half million quid from Wilhelm II. And I think in the month later, Hencho was three and a half million, having uh, just been relegated with Blackburn. So, um, yeah, it was it was fascinating having a catch-up with him. He, you know, he... Um, Lives in Geneva now. Um, he he was a manager for a number of years in Switzerland, but uh, you know has been out of out of that for about the last twelve months. Is now working as a pundit on Swiss TV. Uh, still absolutely loves Liverpool, and um, yeah, fascinating talking to him about that partnership with Hippier. He said it was, he said it was just one of those things that absolutely clicked from day one. He said you know it didn't, it wasn't something they really worked at. He said you know they just seemed to really complement each other well. The other one always seemed to know what the other one was going to do, and um, yeah, Hensho was, I think he was definitely kind of an unsung hero of that period, and certainly that, that, that remarkable treble winning season, you know, he was a, certainly a quiet fella during his playing career, and he wasn't, and he wasn't someone to shout about it, he was quite happy to, I think, go under the radar, but uh, yeah, fantastic servant to Liverpool for a number of years, it was, I'd forgotten to be honest, till you know, he actually brought it up, that the um you know he left only four months before Istanbul and he he said he must admit he was absolutely kicking himself sat on his own in a Glasgow hotel room <laughs> not getting a game for Celtic when um watching his old teammates lift that trophy because you know it was him who instigated that move he, you know he could have stayed put and and been part of that occasion but you know as Stefan Honcho like probably most of us back then in that January I think no one in their wildest dreams thought that that season was going to end with Champions League glory in Istanbul and obviously since Benitez had replaced Julio the previous summer Hencho had kind of fallen out of favour of course Jamie Carragher had, had kind of gone become a permanent fixture at centre-half alongside Hippier but um, yeah great guy Honcho and um, got away with a couple of massive handballs didn't he <laughs> yes yeah well, it was it's funny isn't it because I think I think he'd be the first to admit that you know, I think even in the League Cup final he gave away the penalty didn't he in the last minute against Birmingham which, you know, because Liverpool won the shootout, you kind of, that gets forgotten where, you know, imagine if that had gone the other way, you'd have been the villain and the same in that FA Cup final against Arsenal. You know, it was, um, yeah, it was funny him saying that still wherever he goes, whether it's in the airport, on holiday, on a sun lounger or in a, a stadium, he has Arsenal fans coming up to him saying that your save at Cardiff cost us the FA Cup. Because um, I watched it back and I, you know, it's still hard to believe that the referee and the linesman didn't spot it and actually gave a goal kick when it was a fantastic goal line save from Honcho. 
and, and of course, you know, in, in this age with VAR, it would have been a red card and a penalty and, you know, how different history would have been. You know, the, it, I'm sure we wouldn't be talking about that game being the Michael Owen final. There would have been no treble. Liverpool would have gone into the UEFA Cup final on a downer. You know, would they have even beaten Charlton the following weekend to, to qualify for the Champions League? So, yeah, one of those sliding door moments. And, um, yeah, I think what made me feel really old was him telling me that his, his son is now playing in the UEFA Youth League for young boys. So his, uh, his son, Sonny, is a, is a, a very highly rated 16-year-old centre-half. He said he's already taller than his dad, quicker than his dad ever was. So, um, yeah, I think that's one to keep an eye on. You're feeling really old. Stephen's talking about being middle-aged and wanting just consistency <laughs> now. Goodness me. Uh, boys, thank you very much. Uh, Stephen Beacom, great to have you on as always. James Pierce as well. Check out James's, Pierce, uh, James's piece, I should say, on Stefan Hodger. It's a really good read and um, put a smile on my face anyway. Uh, thanks very much for listening to the pod. And, of course, there'll be another Red Agenda right round the corner. We'll see you for that soon.